on his porch watching the water, and the water's starting to rise, and this guy comes by in a big four-by-four truck, rolls the window down, and yells out, buddy, come on, jump in before the water gets wet. The guy goes, no, the Lord will save me. Pretty soon the water's getting up, and now he's on the second floor of his house, leaning out the window, and the water is really high. This guy comes by the motorboat. The guy's like, buddy, jump in, I'll save you. And the guy's like, no, the Lord will save me. Well, now the water's so high, the dude's on his roof, right? He's on the very peak of the roof, and the water's almost up to him. This helicopter comes by, drops down one of those chain ladders, you know, so you can climb up, and the guy goes down, climb up the ladder. The guy goes, no, the Lord will save me. And the waters rise, and God washes away and dies, and he gets to heaven. And he's in heaven, and he goes, Lord, the flood came, but I thought you'd save me. And the Lord looks at him and goes, I sent a guy in a truck, a boat, and a helicopter. What more did you want? <laughs> It's a common saying. You've probably heard it. You've probably said it. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Is that really true? I mean, is that in the Bible? I mean, it sound, doesn't this sound like something that could be in the Bible? It does, right? It sounds like something that could be in the Bible. It's maybe the Proverbs, right? The Lord helps those who help themselves. <laughs> or, or like Ecclesiastes. I mean, you can see this in Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon saying, I have looked under the sun and seen that the Lord will indeed help those who help themselves. In fact, George Barnum, in 1998, he must have been bored that year, I don't know, he actually did a poll, a phone poll of Americans. And of those who responded, a full 82% of them said, yes, that's in the Bible. Now, you likely guess that that is not actually in the Bible, or else it wouldn't be part of my sermon series on, does the Bible really say? <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like it could be in the Bible. It sounds like something the Bible would say. And interestingly enough, though the Bible doesn't say, this phrase has a very long history. It first comes to the attention uh, of us in English when Ben Franklin, in the 1773 edition of the Poor Richard's Almanac, not the magazine, 1739. Put this phrase into common usage. But it's actually much uh, older than you might think. Ovid, who was a Roman poet, who lived around pretty close to the time of Jesus. He's like 48 BC to like 17 AD. In his writing Metamorphosis, wrote, God helps those who dare. Kind of the same idea, right? You dare to try something, God will help. But even older than that, in 428 BC, the ancient Greek writer Euripides, in his writing Hippolytus Vale, wrote, Try first thyself, and after call on God, for to the worker, God himself lends aid. So, this one's been around for a long time. And certainly, if you read places like in the Proverbs, it extols the virtues of hard work, right, and not being lazy. In fact, if you were to go to Proverbs chapter 12, it spends a lot of time comparing those who would work hard to those who are lazy. But even there, 
more of a Proverbs, more of a general explanation against laziness and folly. I mean, it's good advice, don't get me wrong, but it's not specifically this idea that is apparently at one time believed by 82% of Americans that's in the Bible. Well, it's not. And since this uh, actual phrase is really not in the Bible, for me at least, as I was sitting and thinking about this, you know, phrase, because I mean, that could be the end of the sermon, right? We talk about lunch. Not the Bible, sorry. <laughs> but then I started to think about it. Who, who does God help? Who does God help? Apparently it's not those who help themselves. I mean, if you go to the like, buffet, it's okay to help yourself. Right? And maybe God will help me not to eat so much if I go to the buffet. Actually, okay, so I gotta tell you, this is not me. I hate it. <laughs> because the food quality is lacking. Uh, it doesn't matter how much of it you can eat, the food's gross. But my dad, my dad loves the thing. Oh, Golden Corral. What was Bonanza? Oh, Bonanza. Oh, I do love Bonanza. Bonanza's counterpart that we did not have around here. <laughs> but that's the only place really helping yourself is <laughs> Who does God help? Because I don't know about you, but when I sit and I, when I say that, when I think about it, if God has help available to me, I want in on that. I'll take some help from God. And what's interesting, what I realized was very encouraging. So really what today's sermon is, not so much decrying on the fact that the Lord does not necessarily help those who help themselves, but it's okay. <clears throat> it actually could be entitled, Seven People God Helps. Now this is not a comprehensive list. I could have come up with more. But I also like to go to lunch. And so there are lots of other people. These are seven really prominent people that God helps. The first is the poor and needy. Psalm 113.7 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now the Bible is full of places where God promises to help the poor and the needy and the marginalized. The Psalms and Proverbs alone have like 25 different references to basically that same thing that I just read you. I'll say almost something almost identical to that. Now what's interesting in that is it's easy in our society, we sort of often scorn the poor in our society. But clearly, it is not a case necessarily that the poor are just lazy or there's just something wrong with them. Because God clearly is looking to help the poor. And not just to make them rich, contra TV preachers. He says he will lift up the poor. He cares for the poor. In fact, if you recall in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus inaugurates his ministry, for some reason my tongue is not working today. In the synagogue, he reads these words from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news who? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus inaugurates his ministry. This is his first, his first public statement of what he's about. And what he says is, he's come to bring good news to the poor and the captive and the needy and the blind and those who are oppressed. That's how he starts out. And then, the Bible tells us that God rewards those who are kind to those in need. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. See, it's easy to get trapped into the idea that if we help the poor, they're just going to take advantage and they're going to try to rip people off. And no doubt, there are, there are some of those, I'm sure. They're out there. Or it's also easy to kind of get into the mindset of, you know, the problem is just so overwhelming. Whatever I do is not in the but God clearly rewards us when we are willing to help the needy. Which is interesting because it echoes the words of Jesus at the time of the judgment. Matthew 25. This is Jesus talking about the end times. And the final judgments. Before him will be gathered for Jesus. Gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now this tells me a couple things. One, First, Jesus is really serious about helping the least of these, the poor, the needy, the marginalized. Secondly, he is watching the world war. God cares about the poor and the needy. And then God cares about a special subset of the poor and the needy, and that would be widows and orphans. This is our second Psalm 68.5 says that God is a father of the fatherless and protector of widows. It is God in his holy habitation. Now you understand in ancient cultures, being a widow or an orphan could be a serious disaster. It often left a person very few options if there was not family to care for them. And this is still true in many parts of the world. In fact, I didn't know you would be here today, but Burton spends a certain part of his year at an orphanage in Indonesia doing medical stuff in an orphanage in Indonesia because there's orphans who have no one there to care for them. And there's not exactly a massive sort of state safety net to 
care for these orphans. So there's a Christian orphanage. Burton goes there and provides medical care part of the year. Because it's not just financial issues, but there's protection. And just simply the fact that families are, are usually optimal when there's both a husband, father, and wife, mother together. But that's not always possible. Which makes this concept all the richer. Because it tells us that God is there for those who experience widowhood or orphanhood in a special way. And once again, we are told that we are to do as God does. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep one unstained from the world. One of the first major ministries the early church had, if you remember back to the book of Acts, church kind of, you know, Jesus ascends, day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon, and pretty soon the church, first big ministry they have going is what? To care for the poor widows in their midst. And even though in our society we have some social safety nets in place in modern times, there are a lot of things we can do to help widows and orphans. They, they have needs. Sometimes we can answer. And then let's not forget about that on the cross, Jesus himself, what does he do? He makes provision for his own mother to be cared for. It was that important. Jesus, Jesus is there dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And he makes sure that the disciple John goes to take care of his mother. If it's that important to be for Jesus to be worried about his mother, clearly widows and widowers should be on our minds also. Group number three is a group that we can and all should strive to be a part of, and that is the humble. Both James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Both of them are quoting Proverbs 3, 34. Now, I love this one. <clears throat> because not only, I, okay, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I'm greedy. I want all the grace I can get. If God's offering it, I want it. But also, I do not want to be opposed by God. Think about what James and Peter are saying. Not only does God give grace to the humble, whatever forms that grace might take, it says he opposes the proud. That word is an active word. He opposes the proud. He's, it's like he's looking down and he sees the proud and it kind of puts a burr in his saddle. And at some point, he decides that he's going to take that prideful person down a notch or two. I don't think we can underestimate the number of people whose pride has been their downfall. I'm sure every one of us has experienced at least one or two times in life where our own pride has caused us some embarrassment or, or whatever. But think about, I could just go, I started just going through the list of megachurch pastors in the last 10 years that have fallen because of their pride and their arrogance. And we would have a two-hour sermon of me just telling the story. I do not want to be one of those people. You do not want to be one of those 
do not want to be someone that God opposes. Now, that means you want to be humble. But you need to understand that the humble person is not somebody who thinks they're of no worth or, oh, I'm just dumb or I'm no good or whatever. See, that's, 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 not, that's worm theology. Now, we don't believe in worm theology here because Jesus did not die on the cross for worms. The only worms you need to worry about are the time he puts on his hook when he goes fishing. <laughs> Humility is seeing oneself rightly in light of God and other people. Humility is not exalting oneself because of our abilities or our wealth or our social status or our accomplishments. But humility thinking that we're worthless. It's just not thinking that we're so much better than anybody else. I like to think of humility sort of like beef. I like beef. Sorry, I like beef. I mean, I really like We all know that a filet mignon is a higher quality cut than what they grind in the hamburger. I purposely did not show you any filet mignon pictures because I didn't want to make people hungry. <laughs> okay, right? Filet mignon is a higher quality, higher, it's a better cut of beef than what they grind in the hamburger. But you know what? Hamburgers are delicious and have their place. And filets are delicious and have their place. And we need to see those cuts of beef rightly in their context. And they're all great cuts of beef. They're just different. Humility, whether you are a filet mignon or a hamburger, is seeing ourselves rightly in every context that we're in. Now one thing that will help keep us humble is when we learn to seek God first. Because God is always willing to help the prayerful. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. For the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? How often for so many of us is prayer the last resort instead of the first thought? But Jesus tells us here that God wants to and will answer prayer. He's a perfect father. And he points out that if even normal fathers know how to give good things to their kids, I mean, you know, Taylor asked for a Mountain Dew. I don't give her a bad Dr. Pepper. <laughs> how would we think he would not want to do the same? If there is one thing that I have really grown in over the last decades, it is that going to God first gets results. Now, I'm not saying we should pray only because we want stuff or need something. But I am saying that God loves talking with his children, and he loves helping his children. One of the things that happened when Jesus died and rose again for our sins was that veil was ripped in two that separated 
the presence of God for people. It was ripped in two both physically in the earthly temple and spiritually, the book of Hebrews tells us, in the heavenly temple. So that we can come, as the book of Hebrews says, confidently before God's throne in our time of need. Confidently. Because he wants to answer your prayers. He will help you pray. And even when the answer is no, and I can promise you if the answer is no, then for sure God has some plan that's ultimately better for you. Even if it doesn't seem like it at the time. <clears throat> Having prayed about whatever it is guarantees that we have marshaled every resource at our disposal to come to our aid. God very much wants to help us through prayer. And somehow, and, and I, even though I have no explanation, I'm not going to try to explain how, how God's sovereignty and his omniscience and prayer all work together. It does, but I, I don't know the exact mechanism by which God has figured that out in the universe to make it all work. It does. Because God helps the prayer. And he's especially ready in prayer to hear the cries of the weary and brokenhearted. Our next verse. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I don't think any of us go through this life without getting our hearts broken or our spirits crushed. Friends who turn out to be enemies. Loves that are lost. Friends and family and loved ones who are gone too soon. Hurts and betrayals and things just going wrong are just part of living in a broken, corrupted world that is dominated by sin in all its forms. It probably has happened to you. If it hasn't, it's going to happen to you. If it has happened, it's probably going to happen again. I mean, I don't mean depression, but we know it's true. And the Lord promises to be close to us in those times if we'll let him. Many of you have been at funerals that I've done for people. And if you notice, I, one of the things I always pray at every funeral is that God would be close to those who have just lost their loved one in that special way that only the grieving can know. Because there is a special way Jesus will be present with the grieving if they will let him. Because he's close to the brokenhearted. And then we just had a whole sermon a few weeks ago on the principle that rest is important. That Jesus promises us in Matthew 11, 28, that all who are weary who will call on him, he will give them rest for their souls. Clearly, God will help the one who needs spiritual and emotional rest from whatever is ailing that person's soul. Because close to the brokenhearted, and he'll help the weary. And Jesus says, all those who need rest can come to him. Now, you know, life can be full of joy and wonder and good things, and it is, and it's awesome. And life can sometimes can be brutal. Sometimes in the same day. And in all cases, God wants to be with us through that. He rejoices with us and he mourns with us and he will be near to the brokenhearted and give rest to the weary. Next group. This one I'm very glad about. That is, God will help the tempted. Those who are tempted by chocolate chip cookies. 
I didn't even try to resist. <laughs> First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is such a great promise because there are so many temptations out there. That's why Paul can say they're common to all of us. You know, whatever it is, our temptations are not special. None of us are some sort of special snowflake that I, I just can't help myself because my temptation is so special and so hard and you don't understand and that and that and that and that. Why, 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 why? Pretty much all our temptations come from the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Now the exact specifics of what tempt us might be different. Your temptations might not be the same as mine in the actual mechanics of it. Maybe chocolate cookies aren't a temptation for you. Maybe it's snickerdoodles. I don't know. Snickerdoodles don't tempt me. But, eh. The only thing I'm tempted when I'm looking for raisins is to run away. <coughs> Nobody should be eating them. Every temptation, it says, though, God provides a way out, so we do not have to fall into sin. Now, sometimes that's just a, a path and the strength to walk away. Sometimes it's the power to say no. But if we truly do not want to fall into sin, God promises to help us and give us a way of escape. This is, this is not Star Trek. Resistance is not futile. God will help the one who is tempted who genuinely wants to avoid or resist that temptation. Finally, last one, number seven. <coughs> there is one person God is always ready to help. In fact, so much so is God ready to help this person that he already did all the work by sending his unique son, Jesus, to make a way of forgiveness. And that is that God is always willing to help when the sinner needs salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and just justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The Bible's clear that we all, that all of us have had our relationship with God, that what we were originally created to be has been broken by sin. We were created to have a relationship with God. It's broken by sin. And all of us have committed actual sins. Things that do not align with God's moral character or his will. And the truth is, we know that. We've done aside. We know we have done some things that we shouldn't have done. Now, chances are, likely we're not the worst person that ever lived. We're not the best person either. We know in our hearts that we've done sometimes some things that are wrong. Even people who've never read the Bible understand that sometimes they've done some things that are wrong. But God sent Jesus as the solution for sin that destroyed our relationship with him in the first place. Jesus died to conquer sin, and he rose from the dead to conquer death. And through faith in Jesus' person and work, that's the confessing and the believing here in Romans 10, 
Anyone can be saved and brought into a proper relationship with God as we were meant to be in the beginning. Sin is not our natural created state. To err is not human. At least not essentially. Jesus was fully human and he never sinned or erred. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were created and they were perfect and they were very good. And in Jesus, God has made a way for us to both return to him and satisfy his rightful justice against sin. Now I realize some folks resist this because it seems too easy. I heard a great sermon this week from uh, Tim Keller. I don't know if you know who Tim Keller was, but he was a pastor in New York. And he was talking about this idea that some folks just, especially in the context he was ministering in in his church in Manhattan, it was just too easy. Right? Yeah, I gotta believe in Jesus, confess with my mouth, and believe in my heart. In other words, believe truly. I think one reason God made it this way is because he wants to help everyone and anyone to be able to come to him and be freed from the guilt and the shame and the effects of sin. He wants to help us. And he did so in such a way that it is not difficult or complex to be freed from sin. You do not have to find a list of 27 things or follow 630, whatever it is, 635 commandments in the Old Testament or whatever, or something like that. You know she can't do it. But he wants to help us and does so in a way that's not difficult or complex, but also in a way that pays the penalty for sin, which is death. So God can be both just and the justifier. God wants to help you. He loves us. He wants to help us. But it's really not so much him helping those who help themselves. It's actually more like him helping those who are beyond themselves. Or who need help that they can't get anywhere else. Those people poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan. Anybody that's willing to, to be humble and be prayerful. Those who are weary, those who are brokenhearted, those who face temptation, he's ready to help. That could be any of us at any time. He's ready to help. And then at any time, anybody who realizes that their own sins have caused a rift between them and God, that their own sins have brought guilt and shame to them, they can be free because God is willing to help the one who will confess and believe in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing when we look at your word. How many different people and ways you have made to help us. Because it's pretty obvious we're needy people. We're tempted sometimes. Some people are poor and needy. Some are brokenhearted. Some are weary and need rest for their souls. Some maybe haven't even truly believed that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead and need to confess.
confess with their mouths and believe in their heart in the work that he did. Whatever it is, whether we need to come to you in prayer or whether we need to just humble ourselves, we are there to help. Not there waiting to hurt or to punish or to curse, but instead to lift up and be close to the weary and strengthen the weak, <coughs> to free the sinner, to rescue the tempted. And in every way we can honor you through our Lord Jesus.